welcome to this week's episode of What She Did Next. I'm your host, Jackie Uwe, and I also produce the show. In this series, we talk to women across different industries about a big career or life change they made, how it came about, and where it took them next. Today we're bringing you some of the highlights from our second season of Conversations with some truly inspiring women. If you're new to the show, this is a great way to get across the kind of stories we share, and if you like what you hear, you can scroll back through the feed to find the full episodes. It's been a big few months pulling together these very timely stories, in the midst of everything 2020 is throwing at us, from the bushfires at the start of the year, to the chaos of COVID-19, to the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, following the horrific events in the US that sparked protests around the world. I hope that we've covered and addressed these topics in a way that feels helpful and hopeful, while continuing to shine a light on the many inspiring ways women are making their mark on the world, embracing change and overcoming adversity in the process. One of the upsides of having to record this season of the show remotely was that I was able to speak to women from all corners of the country, and even across the world, which meant we could cover rural and regional stories, as well as stories from our big cities. A personal highlight for me was speaking with my first international guest, cook and food writer Hedy McKinnon, who was originally from Sydney, but is now based in New York. Aside from the fact she's a lot of fun to talk to, I loved hearing about her experiences growing up as a Chinese kid in Australia and her reflections on identity and culture looking back now as an adult. Growing up with an Asian dad myself, I could relate to much of what she spoke about and I love what she's doing now to promote multicultural voices and stories. But all of the women I speak to are hugely inspirational to me and their stories are so interesting, not only their successes but the highs and lows of their journeys along the way. I hope as someone who might be aspiring to your own career or life change that these stories are a source of inspiration for you too and they're a reminder of the good things happening in the world and that something better is always around the corner. I also wanted to say a huge thank you for all of your support of the show for another season. I won't lie, it is a huge amount of work putting together a show like this and as a one-woman production, there are many hours that go into each episode. So it means the world when you send through your kind reviews and your comments, your tweets, your DMs and all of the other ways that people have been communicating. So I thought I'd read out a snippet of one of my favourite reviews from this season, which might also give you an idea of what you can expect from the show. Anna says, I want to recommend this fabulous podcast, which explores the life and career journeys of a fascinating group of women. Jackie allows these amazing women to tell their story with only a few choice questions to guide the conversation. I introduced my daughter and she was quickly enthralled. Thanks for bringing these women and their stories to our attention. Thanks for providing an articulate podcast, which helps me show my daughter the world is her oyster. So without further ado, here are some of the highlights from season two, and you'll find the full episodes in our feed. As schools and families grappled with the upheaval of the COVID-19 crisis, my first guest, Ellen Ronalds Keane, gave a moving insight into the lives of teachers and the challenges they were facing in their roles even before the pandemic hit. Ellen left her own teaching career as a result of ongoing health challenges, and she now supports other teachers through her business, Self-Care for Teachers, as a wellbeing coach and advocate. 
Here's Ellen. A lot of teachers, and I was this teacher myself, identify so much with the job and and care about the work so much that they really put their own health and well-being last until there's some kind of health crisis uh, and burnout is a, is a huge issue in teaching these days. And then only then do they start to think about their health and well-being. And I, and I in some ways, because of my health experiences at university and, you know, as challenging as they were at the time and and have since, you know, the fallout from that has still been challenging, it really prevented me from making some of the mistakes that other teachers make because I was physically incapable of pushing myself, you know, so so far um, that I would burn out. I, I just couldn't do that. Um, and my body was, I suppose, putting on the brakes for me, but I'd also learnt some lessons really early in life that a lot of people don't learn till they're, you know, 40s or 50s or 60s, which is that actually if you don't have health, the rest of life gets so much harder and and prioritising health and and the important relationships in your life is is more important than any isolated work achievement. In our next conversation, we heard from ecologist Casey Kirchhoff, whose story of resilience and hope after losing her home in the devastating summer bushfires, captured the hearts of many listeners. In the days following the fires, when it was safe to return to her property, Casey started taking photos of the plants and animals she saw emerging from the charred landscape, and it inspired her to set up the Environment Recovery Project for other people to contribute what they were seeing too. Here's Casey. Just a couple of days after the fire, um, we've, we've got quite a a nice little bit of a swampy ground through some of the property and in that wet area we were already getting some of the beautiful spike rushes um, popping up and which was great because as soon as they'd pop up something like a wombat or a wallaby looked like it was coming in and eating it down to a little stub so there was there was a little bit of food there for for the animals which was fantastic um Something that made me really happy was we've got all these little wombat burrows down the back, so I just went and checked on them, and two of, I saw two separate wombats, so that was lovely, just kind of hiding in their burrows. And every time I go back, there's evidence of the wombats and the wallabies and lyrebirds, and yeah, so it's you know it's it's great. I mean, obviously, not everything made it through. I've seen some really sad things as well, you know, little burnt skeletons and little animals that didn't make it, but. You know, there's definitely a few little survivors out there. We had a huge response to my conversation with Ali Jade, who shared her very personal story of becoming a youth worker with the Women's Justice Network after she was supported by one of their volunteer mentors when she was in prison herself. It was that experience that helped Ali to turn her life around and why she's now giving back to the organisation that helped her. Here's Ali. At a really low point when everyone on the outside was struggling to understand what was happening for me, this relationship that I'd made with this mentor through the Women's Justice Network became like like a little beacon for me of hope because I could have really easily slid down that, you know, no one gives a shit about me, my life's over. You know, it could have easily gone that way for me. But I, I suddenly had this complete stranger who wanted to know about me, didn't want to know about all the things, the awful things, you know, they wanted to know about who I was and what my hopes and dreams were and, like, was really fascinated with, with um, just who I was as a person and that was really cool. 
My next guest was Yatu Widders Hunt, who Instagram fans may know best as the founder and curator of the Australian Indigenous Fashion Account. A writer and communications consultant by day, Yatu launched the account as a side project in 2017 to showcase the incredible work of our Indigenous designers. It's since grown to over 40,000 followers, providing a platform to spark important conversations and connection with Indigenous identity, culture and stories. Here's Yatu. Having people look at a beautiful piece of fashion, even, you know, purchasing a T-shirt can help them to understand where does that come from, what does that represent, what story are, you know, we telling you, who created it. So I think it's also a really nice and gentle and fun way to learn about Indigenous peoples and culture and history. And I think, yeah, we need to to do that. And I also think it's a nice way for us all to, to, to walk together in better celebrating Indigenous history and story as part of the Australian narrative. And I mm-hmm. don't know that we're there yet, but I think these sorts of things inspire and excite people to think more about that. Next up was Louisa Seaton, a fine art, lifestyle and documentary photographer who has travelled the globe with her cameras in tow on countless photography trips, initially as a hobby and then as a side gig before stepping out on her own full time. With her work being featured in top international publications, including Africa Geographic, CNN Travel and Vogue Living, Louisa talked about what it's taken to succeed as a freelance photographer and why she's particularly drawn to photographing women. Here's Louisa. I really do find women to be very strong and dynamic and and sensitive and vulnerable and raw all at the same time. And I think because I've been um, photographing women in, in rural Indigenous communities for so long, I really see the strength in them. And a lot of, while they go through a lot of hardship, I see this very, like, this, like this inner strength and I just admire it. And so I feel like that's why I'm drawn to photograph women. And also I've just started a new project called The Sacred Feminine, which is, it's all about celebrating the sacred feminine within you to empower women to express themselves and create art using their feminine form. And so because of, again, my fine art background, I photograph women in the nude and their body shapes become the work of art. And so it's it's very beautiful work. And I find that it's very healing as well for a lot of people. We then headed across the oceans all the way to New York to chat with one of my favourite foodies, Hedy McKinnon. You may know Hedy from her much-loved recipe books, Community, Neighbourhood and Family, and her salad-making venture that started it all, Arthur Street Kitchen. As you'll hear in our chat, a career in food wasn't on the cards for Hedy early on, but she decided to pack in her PR career after becoming a mum to conjure up delicious salads in her tiny terrace kitchen in Sydney, Surrey Hills, and deliver them around the neighbourhood. Here's Hedy. Every salad is like a story. So I remember so vividly, like most weekends, almost an entire Saturday, like my husband would take the kids and I would just be sitting in my little office in my house, conjuring up these these 
salads and every single detail was just thought about because I didn't have any training in food. So I thought of the salads as stories. So I would think of, oh, well, what's in season? What can I get? Uh, what vegetable can I get? And then so, okay, what can I use to build that up? Which grain can I use? And then which herb, like for me, like herbs are like the finishings of the story. So you can't just use whatever herb. It's got to be the right herb for that particular salad, depending on what the inspiration, like what the flavor profile is. You know, I think it's right now in 2020, it's kind of trite to use the term. It's made with a lot of love, but it actually was made with a lot (laughs) of love and made with like so much attention to detail. It was an absolute privilege to chat with Cara Peak, a lawyer by profession who left behind her big city life to relocate to Broome in WA. Now the founder of two Indigenous-led organisations, Cara runs a consultancy called the Cultural Intelligence Project with her sister Adele and a not-for-profit organisation called Saltwater Country, which is opening up opportunities for Indigenous young people and communities in the Kimberley. Here's Cara. It is an extremely rewarding thing to do. I have had a young kid from Halls Creek, which is even further out than Fitzroy Crossing, so it's probably about six hours from where I live, come up to me at an event. He's about seven years old at the time and he waited patiently until I was available because, you know, you're running around like a headless chook. Um, And he just said, Miss, I just want to thank you. Thank you for doing this. We don't we don't get things like this. Things like this don't happen for us. Um, mm. And he had, I mean, he'd had a great day. He'd won a bunch of buckles and all different things. So he's, <laughs> he's, I'm sure he's running on a high. But it was, it's a safe family-oriented um, initiative to, to build outcomes for Indigenous people. And in his own way, he could see people that look like him doing it, people that look mm. like him achieving, and his solo family members also taking part. And in our most recent conversation with Lorna Deng, we heard about her startup journey to launch DivTal, a new social enterprise that aims to break down employment barriers for people from minority backgrounds. Lorna is of South Sudanese heritage, but has lived in Australia since she was a child, arriving in Adelaide with her family at the age of 10, before later moving to Melbourne. Having faced and overcome barriers to employment herself, Lorna is a passionate advocate for diversity and inclusion, and hopes to drive a movement for change in the recruitment space to ensure the future of work is more inclusive. Here's Lorna. For many years it's been, you know, the conversation has been around gender. So it's been the focus for a lot of organisations. How can we get, you know, gender balance, specifically, you know, in leadership positions? And now we are starting to hear more about, you know, LGBTI or, cultural diversity or accessibility. But I think that we still recognise that unconscious bias is taking place in the, in the recruitment process and it's not an even level playing field. And, and even though gender has been a focus for a very long time, you know, you know, the question comes, you know, what, what type of women are we looking for, you know, because mm. the experience of a migrant woman, the experience of an Indigenous woman, the experience of a Caucasian woman are all very different and they have different challenges, they've got different barriers to 
employment and to promotions. And so, and so the conversation, you know, needs to really shift from one type of diversity to looking at the whole realm of diversity and inclusion. So that's it for today's episode. A huge thank you once again to all of these women for trusting me with your stories and to all of you who have taken the time to listen to these stories. Thank you so much. And I look forward to sharing more inspiring conversations with you soon. You can find us online at our website, whatshedidnext.com.au, where there's a form to get in touch if you have any questions about the show or would like to inquire about sponsoring an episode or recommending a guest. If you're enjoying these conversations, it would mean a lot if you could help spread the word. Tell a friend about us, share a link, or leave us a nice rating and review. And if you have any questions about today's episode, please feel free to get in touch. You can find us on Instagram at What She Did Next Podcast. What She Did Next is produced and hosted by me, Jackie Uwe. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>